Coming up, the Celtics are just one win away from making it to the NBA Finals for the first time in 12 years, while the Warriors had to delay their celebration in the Western Conference for one more night. I'll recap the latest and greatest there, as well as the Tampa Bay Lightning making it to a conference final. Can they prove J-Reels wrong by making it back to a Stanley Cup final and winning it for a third straight year? Also, everything that's happening in the French Open, all that's happening in baseball, a wild loss by the Mets a couple nights ago, and Colin Kaepernick gets a workout from the Las Vegas Raiders. All that and then some, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And why shouldn't you be? On the eve of a Memorial Day weekend where it's time to break out the barbecues, the beach blankets, coolers, umbrellas, anything that has to do with summer. I'm sure the tank top, flip-flop, shorts, they're dusted off and ready to be worn And I get it, there's certain parts of this country, and maybe even the world, that have been doing that for quite some time. But here in the Northeast, we could rejoice as the unofficial beginning of summer is on the horizon. And on the horizon, speaking of which, is the latest edition bringing you everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J-Reels Podcast with your host, J-Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into here as we have the French Open getting ready to go deeper into its first week. We already had quite a few top-seeded women ousted as Naomi Osaka and even the defending champ Barbara Kovicheva out. So we'll touch on that later on as well as what's happening with the men's side, which has pretty much been chalk, so not much to report there. But I'll have that. The baseball, where we get into a Memorial Day weekend, big four-game series down in Tampa between the Yankees and Rays, first time they'll meet up this year, as well as the Mets as they come limping home, losing their second series of the year, first road series, and just a brutal loss after another ferocious comeback there on Tuesday night in San Francisco. So you'll get my two cents on that, as well as what's happening 
in the NFL, which I haven't really talked about, thank goodness, because it's pretty much round the clock when it comes to the shield. But Colin Kaepernick getting a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, I have a couple of things to say in reference to that. Obviously, the Stanley Cup and NBA playoffs, where we're just one win away from crowning a champion in both the East and the West when it comes to Celtics Heat, Warriors, and Mavericks. But I'm going to start off here with what took place in the country a couple days ago. And as it pertains to my hero in Zero of the Week. Now, if you've listened to the podcast going way back, or even recently, you know that every Monday I have a segment at the very end of the podcast detailing my hero and zero of the week. And of course I could have saved this for Monday, but it would have been moot because of the tragedy and senseless shooting that took place there outside of San Antonio on Tuesday brought the nation again to its knees, and we know that we've become numb. It's almost when we hear this type of news come down, whether it's one person or five people, or in this case, 19 children, four adults, getting slaughtered by another young high school student. It almost becomes happenstance to the point where, all right, We're already immune to this. We already know that when these shootings take place, as horrific, senseless, and just downright tragic that it is, it's like, oh, another mass shooting. But we wonder, not only as a society, as a community, but even more so as a nation, has the time come to where change is about to be made? And we can look back at what happened just two weeks ago. Less than that, in Buffalo, where we had another 18-year-old pretty much in full armor and with an arsenal that could probably support third-world countries and having to go through that and just going to the supermarket where certain people wanted to go shopping to either set themselves up for the week or maybe even a party and they didn't even make it home. And as bad as that was, we had this incident the other day to where all these children were involved and it's impacted the nation greatly. In particular, a one Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, to where he said, the hell with basketball, I have to put this out on the table. And mind you, he's also a victim of his parents, in particular his father, who was gunned down in Beirut, I believe, going back to the 80s. So for news like this to happen in his world, it hits home. And of course, the Mavericks were playing in the state of Texas as they were preparing for a game four against the Mavericks. And pretty much what he said, and I'm sure everybody had seen the video, whether you're a sports fan or not, it going viral, how enough is enough. When is change going to take place? Calling out the politicians and the hierarchy of this country to do something about it, that this has been long overdue. He's 1,000% correct. And granted, people are going to say, ah, he's an NBA coach, what does he know? Again, his life was impacted by his own father being murdered. Granted, it wasn't in this country, but still, I'm sure whenever he hears about these mass shootings or any shooting for that matter, it's going to bring back the memory of the loss of his father, even though that was, what, 38 years ago? 
But who knows what's going to take place here in light of this tragedy, whether it's going to be a person in power or multiple people in power to finally take a stand, to put aside the greed, put aside the power, unite and get this country to where we could slowly but surely, it's not going to happen overnight, correct this ongoing issue that will never go away unless somebody finally has the balls to say, that's it. And for Kerr to have that forum, have those three minutes for him to speak out and to reverberate from coast to coast. Now, I'm sure a lot of the politicians that went in one ear and out the other, which is sad to say the least, because we know a lot of these politicians have an agenda. And before I turn my attention to sports, I want to say right now, for a coach of an NBA basketball team to have to pretty much be the spokesperson for a lot of people in this country. And just early this week, mind you, it probably didn't get a lot of buzz nationwide, but in my backyard where I live in the Bronx, an 11-year-old girl was killed by a bullet that was not intended for her, by an 18-year-old boy. And what that family has to go through knowing that they're going to have to bury an 11-year-old child on top of what the people in San Antonio in that small town of Uvalde, I believe, knowing that they're not going to be able to hug their children or their child ever again, that they're going to have to prepare for a burial Something that is unimaginable and unconscionable for any parent to have to deal with. So for Steve Kerr to be the one person and for other people who I'm sure have said something, whether on their social media posts or whatever platform that they may use, but for Kerr to, in front of the entire world, not even just the U.S., for the entire world, because we know basketball is global. For him to put that on the table, push basketball to the side, and say, enough, this has to be stopped, something has to change, and I'm tired of it. And for him to walk off into the podium and have to prepare for a game, Steve Kerr, my guy, you are my hero of the week. And I get it, I had my hero of the week on Monday, but... He's already going to be my hero even this coming Monday on Memorial Day. So I figured I'd start off the podcast that way. And I know it's a diversion from the sports world, the toy department of life. But it was something I had to get out. And because it was from one of the powers that be in the world of sports, a three-time NBA Champ, as far as coaching goes, we know he's won championships with the Bulls, even with the San Antonio Spurs. Granted, he's not an all-time great player, an iconic player, but he's a guy that obviously is well-known in the sports world, and I just had to give him his just due for coming out and saying what he said the other day in Dallas. Now, let's transition to the NBA, because I'll start off with that series since I'm on the Golden State-Dallas Theme And for the Mavericks to come out and save face, show some pride, did not get swept out of the building and into the summer, for 
Dallas to now have to fly to San Francisco. Let's see if this is going to stick and make it a series. Now, understood that even if they do win tonight in the Bay Area, that the pressure is still on Dallas to push the Warriors to a seventh game. And then at that point, all the pressure will be on Golden State because, as we all know, no NBA team in the history of the sport, 75 years, has there been a team that has trailed 3-0 in a playoff series and come back to win four straight. And the Mavericks have that opportunity. Now, mind you, they got the one win, but before you could get win two, three, and four, you got to get win number one. And we know that they're going to go to San Francisco to play a game where the last time they were in that building, they had a 19-point lead, looked like they were in cruise control, and they let it slip through their hands to the point where the Warriors were able to win game two and pretty much set the scene for them to be up 3-0. And then, even though they lost the other night, 119-109, Luka had 30. You had some contributions there by one Dorian Finney-Smith. Remember what he did in the previous series, and I believe a game four against Phoenix, just the one game. But at least for this one game here, he was able to put forth 23 points on top of Luka's 30. And away they went. So let's see if the Mavs could make it stick tonight. And I would only hope that they would win just so we could have this series extended into a Memorial Day weekend. And it's funny because on Monday, I did discuss how both of these series could have been over by the time I got on the microphone this morning where the Heat had a 2-1 series lead going back to Monday against the Celtics. And if they would have won those two games, obviously they would have been headed to the NBA Finals. And the same for Golden State if they would have won on Tuesday night. But obviously that's not the case. There's been a massive turn of events a little bit there in the Western Conference Final. I think Golden State will win tonight. I want to see Dallas win. As I said, I'd want to have a game there on Saturday night that we could at least turn on and say, hey, there is an NBA game and a Game 6 in Dallas where the Mavericks could certainly push this series to a seventh game and maybe have some drama going into Memorial Day evening. That remains to be seen, but I think the Warriors will polish off the Mavericks and punch their ticket to the NBA Finals. As far as the East goes, Monday, I thought to myself, with the way the series has gone, with all the big runs, whether you saw in Game 1 with the Heat, 39-14, especially in that third quarter, obviously the Celtics there in a Game 2, and what they did, Game three, as ugly as that was, and even though the Celtics came storming back but fell short. And then Monday night, you had a scenario where the Celtics came storming right out of the gate, started the game, 18-1 run, 26-4. The Heat didn't make a field goal until, I believe, the three-and-a-half-minute mark of the first quarter. They had no Marcus Smart, and even though Tyler Hero has been out and has not been seen ever since, only in street clothes on the sideline, But the swarming defense by the Celtics and pretty much playing from in front from the opening tip, the Celtics cruise to a 102-82 victory. Jason Tatum bounced back from that poor game three with a 31-point performance. And all was right in the world. And we thought that going into the game last night with how lopsided these games have been, that last night had to be the game to where it was going to be a nail-biter. It had to be the game where it was going to be deep in the fourth quarter and it was either going to be tied or maybe the Celtics up by two or three, 
or the heat up by a basket or a tray. And as it was, it looked like the game was reverted back to the 90s from when you saw, not only just from the defensive standpoint, but also the offense for both sides were terrible. Max Drews couldn't throw the ball into the ocean off a boat. Same for Kyle Lowry, as they were both 0 for 17 in the game. Or I believe 0 for 16, excuse me. Struess was 0 for 9 from 3. So he had a nightmare of a game. And Jimmy Butler, 4 for 18 overall. Jason Tatum, 4 points in that first half. Jalen Brown, 6 points in that first half. And when your halftime score is 42-37, you're thinking, oh, geez, this is probably going to be the first who makes it to 90 is going to be victorious. Maybe even 80. But that's taking it back to the 90s in those classic Heat, Nick, and Bulls, Nick games where the final score was 78-72. And as you got into the third quarter, it was methodical. It was slow. Then we get deep into the third quarter where it was about three and a half minutes to go at 59-58 Celtics. Then that's when they turned on the Jets. Jalen Brown makes some clutch shots. The Celts start to extend their lead to the point where they go on an 11-0 run, excuse me, a 10-0 run to make it 69-58. And then they continue to play suffocating defense. The Heat were unable to get a basket. The Celtics then go on to a 24-2 run after that 10-0 run to conclude the third quarter. And next thing you know, you look up and the score went from 59-58 to 83-60. Jalen Brown scores 13 points on 5 of 6 shooting in that final quarter. Jason Tatum ends up with 22 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists. So he tried to be the playmaker there and feed Jalen Brown as much as he possibly could. Add in the contribution by a one Al Horford who, for whatever the reason has had these moments where in the Buck series, whether he's putting up 22 points or even 30 points a career playoff high or just getting the intangible rebound, the block shot, the key basket, the three in the corner. And what could you say about the Celtic team that now they're one win away from going back to the finals for the first time in a dozen years? Just a remarkable job overall. Also throw in Rob Williams. I know Marcus Smart was in foul trouble. Did not really get his fingerprints all over the game. But here we are where just 72 hours ago with how the Celtics performed there in that game three. Yes, you thought they were going to be alive in the series. Yes, they were to be heard from. But it was just a matter of how they would respond. And here they are now since the last time I was on this podcast. Them being 48 minutes away in their building to be able to clinch, win the Eastern Conference, and go on to play, in all likelihood, the Golden State Warriors in the 2022 NBA Finals. And with the way this series has gone, would you be shocked if the Celtics lose and have to go back to Miami for Game 7? I wouldn't. By any means, I am not breaking out the green and white pom-poms to think that the coronation is going to take place there on Friday night at the TD Garden. I will say this. I'm not going to say that the Heat look defeated. I'm not going to say that the Heat are done, toast, etc. But when we look at the performance by Jimmy Butler and his ailing knee, when we look at what the role players have done 
And granted that they've had flashes, whether you're Victor Oladipo, even Max Drews, who had that shot there in Game 3. But yesterday, he had zero, literally. Kyle Lowry, I'm sure, is... His hamstring is barking big time and is giving it all he's got. We know Tyler Hero has been on the bench just watching as a spectator. And unless Bam Adebayo is going to have this monster game and is going to carry the team on his back to where they get on a flight, head back to South Beach for Game 7, I can't see where the Heat are going to find answers here in the course of 48 hours where both of these teams, including the Celtics, they're running on fumes here. It's pretty much guts, guile, and testicular fortitude that's getting them by to the point where they're just one win away from making it to the finals, and for the Heat, for that matter, are just trying to piecemeal whatever, scotch tape, bubblegum, crazy glue, just to be able to put an effort for 48 minutes just to get them back to Miami to tip it up there, 8.30, while you're polishing off whatever was on the grill or some sort of dessert to where we could possibly have a Game 7. Now, is it going to happen? Of course, as a fan, I'm going to say I hope not. But, with everything that I detailed, Celtics in their building, and knowing that they don't have to get on a plane to go to Miami to play in a Game 7, and I said this in a previous series with the Bucks, because remember that Game 5 and how they won on the road, and they were able to escape with that champion heart. And we saw what happened. And it could happen to the Celtic team. And granted, for everything that I mentioned about the Heat, not having the firepower, them being on fumes, the injuries, not having that secondary or tertiary guy that's going to pull them through the fire, and to do it in a hostile environment, the odds are against the Heat to win. But can they be victorious Come 11.30 on Friday night? Absolutely. But I think the Celtics, as they've done, especially since the second round, how they found a way to prevail, to live to see another day, to move on to another series, I think that's what's going to happen tomorrow night as the Celtics will win and face the Golden State Warriors a week from tonight in the Chase Center, best of seven to start off your NBA final. And quickly, what could you say about the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? These are guys that had awful first halves, and that's just a true mark of a team that's, I don't want to say they're peaking, but they didn't throw in the towel. They didn't look at it as, oh, we're not going to win this game, but we'll have a game six in our building. They were able to gut it out. They were able to fight through. And that's the mark of a good to borderline great player. When you have those type of guys that no matter how rough that first half was, they were able to put it together and carry the team to not only a victory, but a chance to wrap up the series at home. And when you have players like that on your team that for the first 24 minutes, they have nothing and are shooting terribly, and turning the ball over left and right, as Jalen Brown was, but they figure it out, they let the game come to them, they realize that they had another 24 minutes to redeem themselves, and sure enough, the Celtics are in the position that they're in. 
And now let's move on to the Stanley Cup playoffs to where the Lightning, they're making me look like a fool. And this goes back to late June of last year where part of it was emotion, but part of it was just common sense to when, and I've said this several times over the last few weeks, and I'll say it one last time, to where the Lightning had won a Stanley Cup in September 2020, and we understand pandemic in the throes of that, bubble from Toronto to Edmonton, winning the Cup, quick turnaround to where they played a 56-game season, had to go through the four rounds, win another Cup, had a grueling seven-game series against the Islanders, and therefore hoisted a Cup in July of last year, over the Montreal Canadiens, and then here we go, another run, seven-game series against Toronto, now they go up against a Florida Panther team who was the best in the regular season, and all they did to them was just sweep them into the panhandle because the Panthers, and we understand how great of a season they had, and they were a top goal-scoring team, and we've highlighted their top players, the Jonathan Huberdos of the world, Alexander Barkovs, Claude Giroux from Philly, Carter Verhage and what he did in the Capital Series, Anthony Duclair, we understand. Goaltending a little suspect with Sergei Bobrovsky, we know that the Lightning had a big advantage in goal there, and as we saw, just like we've seen in six of the past seven series, the Lightning win in shutout fashion. Granted that the Panthers threw everything in the kitchen sink at Andre Vasilevsky, the goaltender, 49 saves, 2-0 victory. Tampa moves on as they await the winner of the Rangers and Carolina Hurricane Series. And all you could say about the Lightning is that they're ready for this moment. They know how to play in these games. It doesn't matter who the opponent is, how much firepower they have. And think about this. They played a Toronto Maple Leaf team that obviously also has enough firepower to light up the city of Toronto and they were able to thwart them especially in those final two games 6 and 7 to win that series and it doesn't matter whether it's going to be the Rangers the next round or Carolina I think they're going to beat them I am sold that the Lightning are going to go back to a Stanley Cup are they going to win it? I can't say that just yet but I think that they will beat a Ranger team and even a Carolina Hurricane team doesn't matter. Colorado, on the other hand, we'll see. Maybe even Edmonton, another team with a lot of firepower. Both of those teams, even Colorado against Tampa. And I understand with their pedigree, experience, medal, etc. You're probably going to pick them in a best of seven when it comes to a Stanley Cup final. But we're not there yet. But all I can say right now is that heart of a champion is in full display here. And if you haven't seen it in these first two rounds, then you're not paying attention. So I got to give it up to the Lightning and what they've done as they've proven me wrong to this point. But I did say they weren't going to make it to a cup final, let alone win it. So I still have one more round to kind of hold my breath to see whether or not that's going to come true. Speaking of Rangers in Carolina, game five tonight, Carolina has played well at home and not well on the road. And that has to be discouraging because even in the next round, Let's say if they survive and win a game five and even a game seven at home and they beat the Rangers in seven, which I think that's going to happen. Why is that going to change all of a sudden? And I understand 
the drop of a puck, bounce of a puck, things could happen. But let's say they win in seven against the Rangers. There is no way that Tampa is going to lose the first two games in Carolina to start off the conference final. That's not going to happen. And then what are the Hurricanes going to do at that point if they do make it to a conference final and lose game one or two to where they haven't won a road game and they're going up against a two-time defending cup champ? That is going to be a very intriguing and interesting storyline to say the least. But we're not there yet. As far as this series goes, I could see Carolina winning tonight. But if you ask me which road team would come out victorious, for some reason, I feel that the Rangers, if they win the night, they're going to win the series. Because I have more faith in the Rangers, and I am not a Ranger fan in the least. But for whatever the reason, I have more reason for the Rangers to pull off the upset than I would think Carolina would if they played a game six of the Garden. We shall see. I do think Carolina's going to win tonight. I have a feeling it's going to be another home series, just like they did in the previous one against the Bruins. But I could see the Rangers winning a game five tonight. Game seven, not so much. Because you're only going to get one opportunity at this. And let's just say for argument's sake, the Rangers do win game five tonight. Although I think they'll win game six. But what if Carolina does finally snap that road hex and win a game six of the Garden? I don't think the Rangers are going to win a game seven. Back-to-back road wins when Carolina's won at home throughout the whole postseason. I can't see that happening. But we shall see. It's going to be fascinating to say the least. Last night you had the Blues come back from the dead. Let's just put it as call as we see it. They were down 3 nothing in the game. The Blues came back to tie. Nathan McKinnon, who had a hat trick, looks like the Avalanche are going to go off into the next round, and then the Blues were able to get a goal where the goalie had to be pulled, Vili Husso. Robert Thomas is the hero as the Blues tie it. They go into overtime, and then what happens? You would think that the Avalanche were going to be the team that were going to prevail, that The Blues were valiant in their comeback. They pushed the Avalanche, not necessarily to the brink, but to overtime. And then what happens? The Blues, just three minutes and 38 seconds into the overtime, Tyler Bozak gets the goal. The Blues go back to St. Louis to see if they could win at home, which they haven't done so against the Avalanche. So that's one thing to keep in the back of your mind. But they do live to see another day. They do get to play in front of their home crowd at least one final time. And let's see if they can push that series to a seventh game. Will it happen? I'll have to say no. I'm hoping Craig Berube, the coach who I love, will be able to push this series to a seventh game. But based on what Colorado has done and knowing that they have to close this series out in six because the last thing I think that this team wants to face is a game seven in their building. And here's the reason why. Their recent track record in the postseason has been awful. And this is a team that a lot of people thought in the last couple of years should have made it to the cup final. And all you have to do is go back to last year in the series against Vegas, the conference semifinal, to where they had a 2-0 series lead. And from that point on, they got swept out of the postseason. And I believe in that in those first two games, the first game, they won like 7-1. And the second game, I believe, was a close game. 
And no indication to think that Vegas had any chance to, all right, could they have won two games at home and come back in the series? Of course, you could think that. But as far as winning the series, absolutely not. And we saw what happened. So now you had a scenario where they had a 3 nothing lead. You let the Blues come back. All right, you took the lead late. You let the Blues come back to tie and now win in overtime to where they have a lot of gas in the tank going home. As I said, they have not beaten Colorado in their building in games three and four, but they do have life. And let's see if they can capitalize off of this big win to where they could be victorious or put themselves in a situation where they can win and then fly back to Colorado with house money knowing that the Avalanche have had a lot of foibles when it comes to closing out series or even winning series as you get deep into the postseason. And that was one of my storylines coming in, if you recall a few weeks back, to where the top two seeds in each conference, Florida and Colorado, could they parlay that into a deep postseason run and possibly meet in the Stanley Cup final? As we know, Florida's not going to be there. And although we think Colorado's going to be okay, but there is a tiny, as of right now, a tiny seed of doubt for the Avalanche fan, maybe not so for the players in the organization, but if they lose this game, boy, that seed is really going to start to grow some branches and a tree trunk and who knows where that could lead to. So something to keep in mind there. And then there are the Edmonton Oilers who have an opportunity to make it to the conference final for the first time in forever. Certainly in the Connor McDavid tenure as an Edmonton Oil, and that's going now seven years. So this is a big series for them to clinch here tonight in Calgary. They're heated rivals. Give it up for what the Edmonton Oilers have done. We know Connor McDavid's been phenomenal here. Same for Evander Kane, and give him his just due. We know a lot of the turbulence that he is self-inflicted, I might add, off the ice with his life, whether it comes to gambling, whether it comes to issues with his estranged wife. I don't believe they're, I believe they now have been divorced, separated for sure. But for Evander Kane to bounce back, he signed late in the season with the Oilers and has posted 12 goals in this postseason, including two the other night to where they have a commanding 3-1 series lead over the Flames. Can they close it out tonight? Why not? I think Calgary will show some pride. I don't think they want to have Edmonton win on their home ice. So I'm going to say that Calgary will prevail. But I would think come Saturday night in the Rogers place, Edmonton, 200 miles north of Calgary, that they will go ahead, or 180 miles, that they will win the Battle of Alberta, move on to a conference final. And I tell you, an Edmonton-Colorado conference final, I get it. For the average or casual sports fan, they will not care. But for the diehard sports fan, for the casual and even diehard hockey fan, that is going to be Connor McDavid versus Nathan McKinnon. You could just post that on your billboard for seven games, hopefully. And that will be a shootout and one that we could hope to remember years on down the road for those two top guns and former number one overall picks to go at it. That will be fascinating hockey, to say the least. And that's pretty much it. NHL has done a great job here, and you've had these series. I get it, Tampa sweeps Florida, so not a lot of the drama that you've gotten in the first round where you had five game sevens. We could only hope that we could get a couple of game sevens, and I think we will. I think we may see it more so 
with the Rangers and Hurricanes than we may with the Oilers and Flames because they have a 3-1 series lead. Would I be shocked if it goes seven games? No. But I think Edmonton will take care of business as well as even Colorado winning in St. Louis tomorrow night. So we may have one game seven here, but the hockey has been thrilling. It's been exciting. And now as we get deep into the second round, closer to the conference finals, you know I'm going to be all over this as I have been from the start of this postseason about a month ago. Couple of quickies with baseball. Not going to go through the divisions. I'll wait till Monday as we get to the Memorial Day portion or that juncture of the season where we're just about a third in and we could pretty much dissect where we're at as far as from that point to maybe the All-Star break where these teams will start to get some notice, maybe even some separation. I talked about it a little bit last week. But two things I want to talk about, and I understand it's New York-centric, so for the person that's in the Midwest or out in the Pacific Northwest or the Southeast, they're going to say, oh, geez, Jay Reels, we're going to talk about the Mets and Yankees again. And the only reason why I'm going to bring this up is twofold. One, Yankees-Rays are going to meet for the first time for four games this weekend. Rays have played well. We know the Yankees have bounced back after losing the first game to the Orioles there on Monday. They get two victories here in the Bronx, and now they move on to Tampa, where Tampa has played very well. And even though they're trying to keep pace with the Yankees, who currently, I believe, have a five-game lead in the division. So an early litmus test, more so for the Rays than for the Yankees, because these series, and you wouldn't think about it in this regard, because the Rays have played very well against the Yankees to the point where they've borderline owned them. You could go back to 2020 and how they played well against the Yankees then. They won the divisional series that year. Last year, they won 100 games and won a division. And they're not afraid of the Yankees. They played very well here over the last two, three years. And now that they're going to face off for the first time, so it's four and a half, four in the loss. You have to wonder whether or not the, the Rays are going to be able to compete against the division-leading Yanks. And we know that they've had some turnover. We know it's a little bit of a different team. And would I be shocked if the Rays went three out of four this weekend? I'm going to say yes for this regard. The Rays are a team that they have an identity, but at the same time, they don't have an identity. Yes, they have an identity that they are a resourceful team. You could pretty much plug me in at third base or a middle reliever, and for whatever the reason, I'll flourish. Because we all know that organization, at the very top, they certainly evaluate their players well. They get a lot out of the guys that they bring in. They make a lot of shrewd, yet thrifty moves, because we know that they're not going to compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the top payrolls in the sport. So they're going to have to nickel and dime or find gems out there. And the reason why I say that they have that type of identity, but they don't have the identity when it comes to, are they a power hitting team? Are they a contact hitting team? Which they, for the most part, they are. Are they a pitching rich team? If I tell you right off the bat, you can't really answer that. Because they don't have a dominant lineup. They don't have a dominant starting pitching staff. And yes, you have a couple of guys that you know in a one, Shane McClendon, who's going to pitch Sunday. Ryan Yarbrough, who p- pitched a complete game at Yankee Stadium last summer. 
And you have a veteran like Corey Kluber who's going to pitch up against Garrett Cole on Saturday, I believe. So there are some names there that you're familiar with. But again, this team doesn't wow you from a star standpoint. And yes, we know about Wander Franco, but it's not a team that really has any type of identity when it comes to when you play against the Rays. Yes, the arms out of the bullpen, understood. But it's not as if they have a dangerous lineup. It's not as if they have a lethal starting staff. Yes, we know about the bullpen. And yes, they can't play defense. But it's not like we know who the Yankees are. The Yankees can mash, but also their pitching has has performed very well. The Astros, we know what kind of team that they have. Championship medal. Yes, they haven't won so in 2017, but we know what the Astros are. We even know to a certain extent what the Angels are. Even the Twins, who lost one of their top young pitchers and a rookie who's on the I.L., We know all that. But with the Rays, we don't. So I think if they split, ah, no harm, no foul. If they win three out of four, I'd be surprised. And even with the Yankees being shorthanded with no Aroldis Chapman, who has an Achilles flare-up, so he's going to be out, as well as Giancarlo Stanton, who has, I believe, an ankle issue. So they'll be shorthanded and not have two big pieces of their puzzle in their lineup over the weekend. Maybe the Rays could capitalize that. Who knows? But... I'd be surprised if the Rays come out winning three out of four this weekend. Even in their building, I could see more so a split, but it should be a fascinating series and maybe even dictate how the summer will go depending on how either the Rays fare against the Yankees or even if the Yankees go in there, win three out of four, or dare I even say sweep, to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is our division to win. Later for everybody else, we mean business, and away we go. And then with the Mets, that game on Tuesday night, it was 8-2, to two and I went to bed. Sorry, people. At 8-2, to two, seventh inning, I thought the game was over. When I woke up the next morning and I saw the final score, 13-12, I couldn't believe it. But what I couldn't believe was that the Mets actually had an 11-8 lead going into the bottom of the eighth. And Drew Smith came in, and why didn't they bring in the lefty Joel Rodriguez? Joely Rodriguez was beyond me as I watched the highlights and went through the recap and checked the box score, Drew Smith has pitched very well this year. But Jock Peterson already hit two home runs in the game. And you had righty versus lefty. You figured, bring in the lefty, see what he could do against Jock Peterson. And of course, Drew Smith was taken out to McCovey Cove to tie the game, only for the Mets to take the lead in the top of the ninth. And then here comes Edwin Diaz, who's performed very well this year. Has had his moments. I know his last blown save was last week against the in the getaway game against the Cardinals, but it wasn't his fault that Eduardo Escobar booted the ball. But he gets the first two outs in the ninth inning, so you're thinking, all right, great. But then he gives up a walk, and we all know walks always come back to haunt you. And from there, gives up three singles, two runs plated, and the Giants win. And if the Mets would have won that game, on the heels of Coming back from the Cardinals in the ninth inning, scoring five runs to win 5-2. On the heels of down 7-1 to the Phillies and winning 8-7. And if they would have won this game, I mean, geez. Then I'd have to believe that this team's going to win a division. I would have had to look at this team to say, you know what, maybe it's in the cards that we're going to have this special season, at least in the regular season, because we all know October's a crapshoot. And if they would have won that game, they would have won that series because then yesterday they had... Thomas Zapraki come in and give up nine runs and one in the third inning and the Mets 
lost their second series of the year, first road series in San Francisco. They lose 9-3. And now, with a day off today, they play the Phillies over the weekend. And let's see how they fare as they get a day off, regroup, and try to get that elusive 30th win, which they haven't been able to do so over the last two games. 29-17, and six games in the loss, seven in the division over the Braves. And we will reconvene on Monday to talk more about the almost third point of the baseball season at that time. A couple of things to close us out here. One being the French Open, where even when I was on the air Monday, or behind the microphone, I should say, I make it sound like I was on live, Naomi Osaka ousted day one by Amanda Anisimova, and she also lost to her at the Australian. So Anisimova seems to have her number here. Osaka, we know... Well chronicled her issues. She even thought that she felt okay coming into the French Open. And who knows what had happened in that first round loss. But Osaka was gone as well as Barbara Krejcikova or Krejcikova, excuse me, as she was the defending French Open champ. She also ousted long gone. So now you have, whether it be Angelique Kerber, Coco Goff, Iga Swiatek, who's probably the favorite here to win on the women's side. We'll have to wait to see how it shapes up as we get into the weekend. But the women's side, you have a couple of heavyweights out. And obviously no Serena. And of course the retired Ash Barty, nowhere to be found in Roland Garros. As for the men's side, it's pretty much been chalk. I know Alcaraz had to sweat a little bit. The young upstart who I talked about there a couple weeks ago and even on Monday, who won his first round match then. But Nadal's still there. Djokovic's still there. Of course, Alcaraz, obviously the other big heavyweights there, Alexander Zverev, etc. So as we get into the weekend and next week, we'll get a bit of a lay of a land as we get into the second week of the French Open and we'll see who's still alive as we'll turn our attention there. The Indianapolis 500 is this weekend. And listen, can I tell you who's going to be the favorite or who's going to win? No. But the only reason why I bring this up and it's an annual thing is that when I was a boy... Growing up in the Bronx, the Indianapolis 500 was everything. And what I mean by that was that Sports Illustrated, a few days after the race, you always saw, whether it would be Jackie Stewart, Mario Andretti, A.J. Foyt, Al Unser Sr., they were always gracing the cover of the popular magazine because that's how big the event was. And with it taking place there on a Memorial Day Sunday, Again, I couldn't even tell you. I know Helio Castroneves is a guy who's won it four times and maybe off the top of my head will be the favorite. But he's a guy that I'm sure you have to pay attention to knowing that he's going to defend last year's Indianapolis 500. But that's just another thing to discuss as we head into the weekend. So I'll be sure to stay on top of that. And then lastly, the Las Vegas Raiders bring in Colin Kaepernick for a workout. I know that They brought in the quarterback this offseason. I know they have Nick Mullins. We know about Derek Carr. And they also... I brought in another quarterback off the top of my head. I can't remember who it was. They actually traded for a guy. But I don't know if this is a publicity stunt. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say no. I'm sure Kaepernick... And this has been well chronicled. I'm not going to try to go down that road. I'm not going to disparage him. I'm not going to say, he's not going to... I'm not going to even entertain that. If he's given a shot to be a backup here. And again, it's just a workout. We're not even into training camp. We're not even into 
the nuts and bolts of him even making the team. Remember, it's just a workout. We'll see what that workout is going to entail. Now, you can only see but so much. It's not as if he's going to have a guy in his face or pass rushers or actual game speed to really gauge on how sharp he is. Because, yes, even I could drop back and throw a 40-yard pass down the field with no pressure or nobody in my face. And granted, I'm far from an NFL quarterback, but you get my point. So we'll see how this is going to shape up here on whether or not this workout could maybe lead to another workout for another team. The Raiders are giving him a shot. All right, fine. I think it's a couple of years too late. That I'll say. But best of luck to him, and let's see if he latches onto an NFL roster at some point here, whether it be now with the Raiders or later on this summer. That's all I'll say about that. That'll do it, people. Another episode in the books. As always, super grateful and thankful that you stopped by. It means a lot. It really does, people, because me trying to get my traction here, and even though I've been doing this for four-plus years, but trying to make a name, doing this on an independent basis. I don't have any interns or a team that's working with me to try to get the J Reels podcast out to the masses. I'm doing it solo. So by you taking a chance to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I certainly do not take for granted and appreciate your participation. And if you haven't done so, if I could ask you to participate by just throwing me a few stars, write a review, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. Also, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, a suggestion, you could do so at the following on TikTok, the J Reels podcast, on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels podcast, on Twitter, J Reels One Just a Number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, as well as the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up, send me whatever. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you ASAP. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would gratefully, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, Appreciate your contribution. It's going to go 100% to this endeavor, to the upkeep of the website, production, equipment, etc. To make this experience that much better for you, coming through crystal clear into your earbuds or speakers. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. As I like to say, it's in the blood, it's in the DNA. I've been talking sports pretty much since I've come out of the womb. Thank you, mom and dad. And for me to wax poetic, to babble to criticize, to praise with various opinions, analysis, critiques, etc. on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy Memorial Day weekend. Have fun. Be safe. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>